Welcome to another edition of the Find Your Calling podcast. I'm Todd Wilson, the host. Every week we get to talk with a leader and, and we look at the narrative backstory of their life leading up to them discerning their calling. Today I am just uh, excited to have Alan Hirsch with me. Alan is a longtime friend. Uh, Alan is a missiologist, a thought leader, an author and speaker, the founder of Forge, and most recently the founder of 100 Movements. Alan, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be with you, Todd. Well, Alan, let's jump right in. Uh, if you would, give us a little bit of the overview of your chur- journey from childhood to today. Yeah, that's always an interesting one, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I have a very unique, weird story. Uh, there's a number of identities that float around in me. I was born in South Africa, 1959, in the apartheid era, which uh, kind of is very much part of my story in, in dealing with apartheid. I'll maybe come back at that. I come from a Jewish family. I was second-generation Jews uh, in South Africa, from the Jewish heritage side. From my dad's side, there was uh, he was from Germany, and his his wife was from Latvia, and then from my mother's side, from Russia. So there's a whole lot of backstory to that in terms of how you know the Jewish identity plays itself out. But and in South Africa, uh, they were they were second-generation. Like I said, born in Johannesburg. Uh, we moved down to Cape Town, which is down south, when I was about four or five, to a kind of more moderate uh, kind of uh, political environment, even though it was still very much apartheid South Africa. You know, just in terms of being brought up in South Africa as a Jewish kid, I always found myself somewhat at odds with the kind of system. I don't know, maybe I just bonded a lot with black people when I was young, but it was very... I never really, I never made any sense of apartheid. It always seemed to me to be deeply immoral and something was fundamentally wrong with the system. And so I always find myself at odds with it. You know, being a Jew, of course, uh, exacerbates that because you always get picked on, particularly in a racist country like South Africa, it was just generally racist. But Jews were second in line other than the blacks to get it. And, uh, uh, not many people know this, but the nationalist government that took over after the war was uh, prior to the war, the Second World War was... Uh, quite pro-Nazi, simply because uh, the, well, the Nazis opposed England, and of course the Afrikaners were very anti-British, you know, so I was raised up as an English-speaking South African, so there's a, there's a whole little British thing going on there too as well, but it meant that at school I, I went to an Afrikaner school and as a Jewish kid, I, I mean, I had a lot of fights and more. I was a scrapper not a lot of people know that about me, and I didn't, I'm not proud of it particularly, but I had to fight my way through school simply because everyone called me FNG. It was always something I was also the, you know, equivalent to, you know, because I argued against the apartheid stuff and that meant I was always fighting on, you know, fighting on, on that score as well, you know. I won't use the words they used on me, but it, you know, similar ones have been used over here. So we eventually went over, over to Australia. I knew I had to leave. I did the military as well because it was call up. It's not something I wanted to particularly do, but all the, all the young guys, white guys, were called up to the army under two years military service. Again, that was a very formative experience. I hated it. And while I was in the military, I did a huge amounts of marijuana just to kind of cope with it. And so we used to go AWOL at night time and just go right around. We'd completely stand, come back into the camp. But uh, and this is where it gets interesting with my, my connection with, with Jesus, is with the guy who was the kind of leader of our group at the time. Kind of like the guru of our little smokers group, this guy called Murray, uh, Murray Korf. And Murray became a Christian one when he came back from, he, he must have gone to some event, uh, had this huge encounter with Jesus. And he came back into our circle. He never left us. This was really interesting because he, he demonstrated a commitment to, he didn't leave us. You know, he, he didn't go to church and disown us. He remained very much part of our, 
our group and our network. He just stopped doing the things we were doing. But he was always a nice guy anyway. And so he, something had changed in my He was really, really impactful on me. And I would say, you know, he was absolutely key in bringing Jesus into my life. So I often say it's like I came to Jesus first, but getting onto marijuana and then onto Jesus because we used to discuss the Lord, you know, and all these things when I was completely stunned. And, we, you know, with this group of guys we going all in the military, it was an interesting, fun kind of time. And, uh, so just, I think in terms of calling, I, I think you missed to say that I have always felt, bro, that I would have something to do with Jesus I must have been about 12 years old. I can't remember exactly what, what age I was. And I don't know the movie. I think it was Ben-Hur. Having seen the movie afterwards, Ben-Hur, you know, Jesus plays this very furtive kind of background figure in the movie. He never comes steps to the front, but he plays the background of the story. I remember watching that and feeling deeply that I would have something to do with that person. My life was bound up with that person. And this was very young, and this is not what Jewish kids were meant to think about this Jesus, but I knew that my life was going to be somehow caught up with this person. You know, very much became the theme of my life. And kind of Wesley and all, uh, Wesley talked about prevenient grace, that God has gone ahead of us. He's a great evangelist, and he, he's out there with people evangelizing them, pointing them to his son. Look, check out my son Jesus, isn't he fantastic kind of stuff. And that God is really involved in every person doing that. And I, my own experience is very much that. So two things from my early experiences that God, I was evangelized by God. There were not churches around, there were many Christians. Murray was a very, very baby Christian. I really didn't know any others. I had never heard the gospel. And so I, I feel like, you know, this idea of Prevenience, even in this notion of even my my globe experiences, there was a sense that God was at work in that, and you know, even in that experience and using it, I found you know I found the Lord in all that, and uh, it's yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a significant part of it, and it plays itself out in my life, and then I have great respect and love for the edges and the fringes of society because that's where I was, you know. And my wife Deborah, she came to Lord on acid. Uh, watching the Lego kind of earth. Not, not many people might remember that, but from the 80s, it's kind of just scared them, scared them into the kingdom kind of movie. And so, and she's thoroughly converted. So we have a, a love for freaks and weirdos in our lives. That, that's been a, that's been a theme in my life. Anyway, long story short, we eventually ended up uh, going to Australia. My family knew that we would split apart. Uh, it was in the height of apartheid and there was all the riots going on around and we I just didn't want to be part of a racist country anymore. I, I had to leave. My parents sensed that people would break up and so they preempted that by by immigrating to Australia's group. And about five or six months after me arriving there I had this huge encounter with the Holy Spirit. I mean with God. I I, I can't even describe it to you now. But it is the defining experience of my life. Absolutely definitive. I met God. I don't know how else to say it. Theologians talk about the negative way that that you, 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 there's experiences of God that you just can't speak about. They are beyond speech. And I say that remains one of them for me. And it defined my life. In that experience, uh, which was done by some crazy Pentecostals, uh, which is another lovely irony, the People praying for me kind of prophesied over me and said, I didn't know what they meant at the time, but that he would be apostle to the nations. He'd be like Paul. And I didn't know anything about Paul. I just knew, I knew of him really, but didn't know terribly much about him. But I knew that, it just resonated in my heart. I knew that was right. I didn't know what that meant. 
and, and but the, the whole idea of being commissioned and sent uh, was very much in that experience, and it, it has again remained determinative for me. And my calling is was grounded before that, but it was really solidified in my conversion and the kind of filling of the spirit as I experienced it. And that was Australian, and I uh, went to work for a Christian mission very quickly, working with young people, went to seminary. You know, just before that, it met Deborah. We were, felt very, again, like this amazing being brought together by God, you know, uh, the two of us, and all the weird people that she was hanging out with, and so we had a collection of freaks, and that became our early church. And it grew really rapidly, and it was just a church that would just gather anyone who who would come our way, we just love and forgive and bless, and you know, we'd live in communities, and it was really an amazing time, and, uh, and God blessed it in a significant manner. And it grew, there was church plants that came out of it, and eventually felt called to America, you know, in terms of leadership and denominational work, but, but really called to America out of that experience, as well as being involved in our denomination. So. Yeah, that's great, Alan. There's not a standard definition of calling, Alan, so how would you articulate the idea of personal calling sort of the way you define it? Uh, well, I, I think it's, it's kind of, um, it's definitely something that you get from God, but it's pretty much tied up with our own perception of, of things. I believe at the heart of calling is getting in touch with the purposes that God has got for you as a unique individual that no other one person can fulfill. I believe there's something in only each, every person in their uniqueness, in their particularity, that is a clue to their contribution to the world. And I think that calling is partly derived from being called by God and being given a purpose by God, but actually pursuing that. And I think in so doing, you find your your mojo, your your uh, sweet spot, I think you call it at one point, the place where, where you find that you would be motivated to do it even if no one paid you, you're going to have to do this anyway because it's your life's purpose, your destiny. So I think all those ideas are caught up with it. I don't have a formula. I think it's more a, a sense of your particular destiny and, and pursuing the mission that only you can do. And in so doing, you actually become the person God intends for you to be. Well, how would you articulate your personal calling? Well, I think it, it goes back uh, to, in the specific sense, I can see that God has made me into a dreamer. I've always been that way, uh, in going back, right back to my early story and early narrative that I always used to be this kind of dreamer and, you know, to conceptualize things. And the interesting thing about being born in South Africa and being at odds with the system, for me, authority was apartheid and authority, therefore, was to be questioned. I became a bit of a rebel, you know, and my, Parents would have told you this. I mean, from an early stage, there's a strong rebellious instinct in me. Just because people said it doesn't mean I accept it. And now that is not always a good thing. However, it can be. And for me, I think the redeemed version has made me into something of a holy rebel. So I, I have a very different view on things, and I, I'm happy to pursue it. You know, I mean, I, I often have a different take than the standard take. Because I don't just assume that the, that the tradition handed down to us is correct. And so it's provided I would have called a holy rebel, um, which is a kind of a, a prophetic kind of call, something of a prophet in me. The other side is me is I feel strongly called to help the church, particularly 
get into the sync equation, that is, you know, to help the church become a movement again and to to get in touch with the, the church's calling and purposes in the world. So there's an apostolic side to that as well. There's a super geek in me, I, so there's a teacher, as I'm using fivefold analysis, yeah. So there is a teacher in me too, I love ideas and I love to play, be playful with them and, you know, so. I think a combination of, uh, I feel a strong apostolic calling, I feel the call sometimes to be the prophet and to call the system into account uh, and to a greater faithfulness and then to teach and to communicate ideas that are fresh and new and get people in touch with, uh, you know, some of those primal energies in the scriptures. I want to go back to your definition of calling and kind of play off of a couple of parts that you listed there. I use what I call a be-do-go framework. Who am I created to be? What am I made to do? Where should I do it? In your definition, the way you articulated calling, you know, you said it's it's us getting in touch with God's uniqueness for us. That'd be kind of the B part, those elements of our our uniqueness that, that only we have, but they transcend all the domains of life. And then you talked about the, the unique role that we play, which would be more in the do or the mission piece. And then that sense of, of our destiny, the kind of the position of fulfilling it sort of thing would be like the go. So if I take those elements from your thing, the, you know, uniqueness of who I am, the uniqueness of where I, I fit in my mission or my part in the mission, and then sort of the destiny of where I fit in the mosaic of the big picture of things. Let's press into those three dimensions for you then. Like if we were to just start out with the unique part of what is unique about you, Alan, that is different than anyone else? Maybe kind of in a light switch analogy, you know, what are those characteristics that are always on in you, whether it's in your marriage and your work at home, but, but those things that are unique about you and who you're created to be? Well, I think a lot of these are rooted in the things that God achieves us in the gospel. So, I mean, I think being a child of God and all, I'm, I'm just going to assume that we, we're going to assume that stuff. Right. Although I, I believe that it's worth saying because at core, I know that I didn't choose in a sense. I mean, God pursued me. There were moments in my life where I, I was veering away and trying to avoid God. And, you know, there was this pursuit of God, like uh, relentlessly. So I know I'm loved and I know my, I know who I am in, in Jesus. I adore Jesus. And I, I think, you know, for him, you know, he captures my heart and soul. And so I'm very much a Jesus kind of guy. And I just try and stick very, very close to the Lord, you know, in, uh, to the particular person of Jesus. And I'll say, you can't go terribly wrong if you stay there. And I feel that's always on for me. In terms of, you know, purpose of stuff, I think that I'm super curious and always have been. That's always on for me. I'm, I'm curious about God and I, I need to know that stuff. And, and you know, so I press in very significantly. I try to then press into God and, and to learn more and more about Him. My prayer life at the moment has never been better. In the last three, four years, I've been just kind of enjoying who I am in God. It's just been amazing. And I can spend whole days in prayer now. I wish I could, and more so, but it, it sometimes it's been whole days, which I've never been able to do, so that's been really good. So that's kind of that curious kind of side of me, the, the holy rebel is always kind of somewhat present. Alan, is it, if, if the word activist is coming to mind, I mean, I think back, yeah. I mean, is it is it rooted in some of the characteristics of being an activist? Yeah, I think, uh, I, in fact, I, I sometimes abuse that word myself because I, I don't think it's always understood 
people don't always understand what it means. But yeah, I'm an activist. I want to stir things up. I am a stirrer. <laughs> yeah. But I want to help. You know what I mean? Like I, I think it's my calling to. You know, often when I'm with people that I would consider my tribal, I do that because that's what God wants me to do. I just, yeah. whether I'm paid or not, I'm going to do that because that's that's kind of how I, I well, feel who I am meant to be. Well, I like the sound of boiling your bee down to a holy activist, and within holy activist are dimensions like being curious, stirring the pot, prophetic message, all that. Yeah. But e- now let's press and a dreaming, step. And dreaming up new futures. I mean, that's very, I can dream quite, you know, I, I have this uh, reconfiguring ideas that can help people, you know. Even being sort of that holy activist, or we'll even say an apostolic activist, there's still thousands of different expressions of doing or mission that you could do in that. You know, you, you could go a whole lot of different paths. So if we press into that sort of the unique role that you have to play, the unique mission God gives you in his bigger mission, talk to us about the context then of what your specific mission as a, we'll say, an apostolic activist or a, a holy activist. Then what, what's the, the mission part of that? Well, you know, I'll give you another, to answer that, just to give you another kind of uh, vignette from my life. One of the early memories I do have, not only with Jesus and being called into knowing Jesus, um, but I always had this thing with America. I mean, as far back as I remember, like you play at school and people, you know, they choose either the British airplane or the American. I always, always choose America, you know. Had this particular love for America. And that's long before, I just knew I had something to do with America, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting enough that I would say that in terms of my contribution, my, my doing, um, at the moment, I would say that we felt called to come to America, a very distinct sense of God's, God saying go. And it, we saw it as like an Abrahamic journey. Take the step. I'll show you where you're going to go. You're just going to go step by step, but just step out. You know, we sold up everything, gave it away, whatever. Signed, up, signed off on all the roles that I had with the church and the denomination forge back in, in Australia. And off we came to America without a job. And this is kind of where I met you. you this is talk about calling and how God designs things. You know, you played a, a significant role. Early days in, in coming to America that opened up a whole lot of things that for me has been very, very joyous. Uh, America has been a great place of blessing to me and I know I'm in God's will here and we were willing to follow and you know there's not always that time in life when you can say I'm I'm in the will of God you know I know that I'm in but my last almost 10 years here now have been probably the most uh, consistent with what I feel God's got for us and so what I'm doing here now is is very you know I think of what I'm made to do and uh, so you know in terms of uh, helping church rethink get sent you get that historic stuff going. Being a bit of a kind of a geeky theologian and, and just helping us think outside the codes. Uh, another I- interesting thing, Todd. Now I felt called to ministry. Like I said, I had those huge encounters with God. Now the standard format of ministry was pastoral. Now, so I went to I went to seminary as you do, uh, and then went into the local ministry in the, in the inner city, very difficult kind of environment. That's where we were successful, you know, in, in what we were doing with the more in the in the, in the um, kind of subcultures and all that stuff. But every week, I, and I kid you not, I mean, I knew I was called to ministry, but pastoral ministry. I mean, at the end of every week, I would I would plot my way out. I knew I was called, but I I, I wasn't going to survive this thing. I mean, I could do it, the shepherding pastoral thing, but I, I wasn't that good at it, and. 
it just didn't energize me in any way. And when I began to correct things at the time, it was where partly where the APEST dynamics of the Ephesians 4 kind of listings became very, very important in my life. And I began to reaffirm what I already knew that I was called to something of an apostolic prophetic role and teacher role. And then I began to take that lead and um, that's where Forge came out of it. My work with the denomination began to emerge the translocal expressions. And then ultimately me being in America was by pursuing the instincts that were related to being apostolic, prophetic evangelist, prophetic and a teacher. You know, those three things have guided me immensely and have been hugely significant in my life. So, yeah. If I can summarize it back, Alan, it's, it's helpful. So on, on the sort of the B aspect, we'll, we'll say this holy activist, or if you just want to say activist, the go dimension, at least in this season you're in, is the church in America. And the church in the West through that, I mean, I, I feel an obligation to the Western expressions of church to help them get and line back on the, you know, more missional track. Uh, so it's more than that. But I think America's strategic, and I do feel a definite, I have felt a call to, to America. So. And you've just said then, and the, and the contribution or the do for you is to help get the church back on its missional impulse, to get it back on its mm-hmm. movemental impulses. Mm-hmm. For the listener who, who may not know exactly what it means to get back to the missional impulses, what, what does that mean for the person who might not understand what that means? Okay, so interesting. Uh, I was uh, another big event in my life. Uh, this writing has been significant for me. Uh, shaping things to come came about from pursuing Forge, and, and at the time we had nothing other than the church planting toolkit, you know, which was a very methodological approach that never really took into account context and missionary principles and all that. So we really didn't have anything. And so developing the books have come out of a need to kind of address issues. But the one, the book that really nailed it for me or kind of brought it together. Again, I felt it was given to me. I don't feel it was because I was being particularly smart. It was just, I felt it as a given by God. And then I'm a custodian of an idea. And that's a very, actually, that's a, I would put that word in there somewhere, by the way. As a custodian of something that doesn't belong to me. I'm a steward, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that Forgotten Ways really is the book that summarized what I believe that, what it means to a church getting alive to God's originating and original purposes in the church, you know. So, which is being a kind of dynamic transformational movement, which incorporates, as you know, it's a multiplication, but APEST and all that stuff is thrown in on it. So I would say that book is very close to my purpose in the world. And if I've got to deliver that message, I feel my obligation under God, this is a very strong call, is to deliver apostolic, well, I call apostolic genius in that book called The Forgotten Ways, but it's really the six elements of MDNA, the system that comes out of it. So. Well, Alan, you've mentioned APEST, which comes out of Ephesians 4.11, that Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some teachers, some shepherds. Relate that to the idea of calling for us. I mean, it's it's Jesus who gives out those gifts, and Ephesians 4 tells us for the purpose of building up the church so people can reach the full maturity of Jesus. How would you articulate the relationship then to calling? Well, well, if, if, uh, the interesting thing about the very text itself right, is that uh, Paul actually uses the word calling and he says, strive for the callings you have received. And then he uses, uh, and this is just the, the geek in me coming up, but the grammar is what we call the indicative mood, which is statements of identity. And Paul uses that very specifically. He's very clear about that, that all the way through. And, and he 
theological treatise and New Testament studies, the, the Paul's grammar switches at certain points. Now, when he uses indicatives, they're statements of who you are. They're statements of identity. They're meant to define you significantly. And because they, from God's word, they, those definitions are the ones that matter. Because they're God's word to you, right? <laughs> so when Paul says that he's given, that you strive to the callings you have received, and he repeats the, you know, the, the given twice, and he says, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, for the building up the body, for the edification, you know, uh, or the perfection, you might say, or the, or the healing or the wholeness of the body. I would say that our callings are very much bound up with who we are within that typology. And one of the things that we should do is to make sure that we could strive to make a, you know, to be sure of our calling. And I think that APEST is a, a huge clue to the, to the contributions we make in life. As I said before, if I, when I was pursuing the, the shepherding ministry, I mean, it's not something I can't do. Anyone can do that. You can care and you can, you know, you can. Anyone can do that. But in terms of calling, I don't feel purposed by God to actually do that. I think I'm, you know, that's not what God intended for me as Alan Hirsch, even though I should be caring and I should create community. It's not my calling. And so I think, again, for me, the, the, the pursuit has gone through primary for apostolic prophetic ministry and the stuff, which really is like who I am. It's who God has made me to be. Uh, and when I pursue that, I feel the great joy of the Lord. I feel his it's just my calling. It's like it's like uh, I'm made for this. I feel great joy, and I feel I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing what God intended me to do when I pursue that stuff. Yeah. Would you say, Alan, in your case, you're you've kind of apostolic, prophetic teacher, or the three you've identified for you that those three mm-hmm. come out. Mm-hmm. We can see the roots of those back to before you were a Christian. I mean, the prophetic or the standing up for people and for, yeah. for issues kind yeah. of thing. So has it been your experience in dealing with people on, on APEST that Jesus brings what's already embedded in you to life in a, in a holy way? Or is it, do you see it where it's just completely new gifting from what somebody had before they were a Christian? No, I, my, my own feeling is that these things have been around before that. The APEST gifts do precede, even the language precedes the New Testament. The word apostella was a, a secular word, as were all the others. Teachers were people deducted outside of the church. You know? So these were actually vocations and callings outside already. And I believe actually that when when Paul says, I was called from the foundation of the world, he actually says that he knows his apostolicity is something that God intended him before the foundation of the yeah. world. I mean, that is mind-blowing, actually. Uh, and I would say God in his economy, and he's, he shapes people through experiences that actually make you who you are. And so nothing is lost, even hard experiences that form us, me having to fight my way through school as a, as a kid, not wanting to do that because I was being bullied all the time, just having to learn to stand up for myself. For me, as a, I can now stand up. If I was going to be a prophet, you're going to have to do that. You have to stand up against the system sometimes and not, you know, just stare it down. Look at the bully in the face, you know, call him around and take him on, right? I can do that stuff because my, in God's economy, all those things in my life are now useful and they, they, they help me, you know? So, no, my identity, I think all the threads were there, but they're redeemed and purified and perfected in Christ. Yeah, so. And it would seem like that's, that's what we see with the Apostle Paul. I mean, he introduces himself throughout the New Testament as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. It's, it's yeah. the of Christ Jesus that changed in his conversion, but, you know, the zeal he had for 
persecuting and chasing Christians and, and the apostolic nature of him there versus later, it's just the, it's the where the identity finds itself, I think, is what, is what we see. Yeah. yeah. Well, Alan, I want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, it's uh, been enjoyable to hear more of your backstory, so thank you. Thanks for taking the time. And anyone who'd like to learn more about Alan and the things he's working on can go to theforgottenways.org. Uh, just spelled just like that, theforgottenways.org. Yeah, or Alan Hirschstadl is, uh, is another. Yes, that's another. All right. Well, thank you, They're Alan. About the same. They go the same way. Yeah, no bless.